Okay, wonderful. So, um, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Chris Pyle, who is the Secretary and Treasurer of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Uh, yeah, Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much for your interest, Josh. Oh, not a problem. Um, as I as I mentioned uh, before we started, I came across your uh, organization uh, watching a documentary about yeah the the end of the the fiat banking system, and so I was yeah fascinated to get involved uh, and get in touch. So um, before yeah, why don't we start by getting you to give people an idea or a, a good explanation of yeah who Gala is the gold um, the gold antitrust action committee. We're a, a nonprofit educational and civil rights organization. Uh, we're based in the United States. We're recognized by the uh, U.S. Internal Revenue Service as a tax-exempt uh, 501c3 organization so that we can accept contributions uh, really on a tax-exempt basis. Um, we have been trying for you know two decades now to uh, research, document, expose, protest, sometimes litigate against the manipulation of the gold market by uh, governments, uh, other central banks, um, and uh, their, their agents. Uh, we have, uh, uh, I guess, sued the Federal Reserve uh, uh, a couple of times. We won one case uh, in, a, in a technical way. Uh, it was a freedom of information case. We had a Another case, our first case, uh, we did not win, but the case elicited, elicited uh, a, an admission from uh, the U.S. government that it claimed the power to do exactly what we were complaining about, that is rigging the gold market. So we, we, we know from the first court case that the U.S. government does claim the power to do everything we accused it of uh, without necessarily admitting that they were doing it. Um, we run a, uh, a bit of a news service. Uh, we we uh, send dispatches to our oh, about 8,000 subscribers uh, almost every day, things that might be of interest to investors in uh, the gold and silver markets and people who are interested in the currency markets uh, generally. Uh, we uh, try to speak at financial conferences, though we don't get too many invitations anymore. Uh, and uh, we're a uh, we're a resource for for people who just want to know uh, how the uh, the gold market is uh, is managed by uh, by government. Okay, so there's a, there's quite a lot of things um, I'd like to go through actually from from that. That's uh, that's a great overview of, of all the work you do. Um, so I guess we should just start at the at the beginning really with uh, the allegations of manipulation of the gold market. So. How, well, how do you propose that they are manipulating the gold market and why would they benefit from doing this? Well, actually, uh, the U.S. government has been manipulating the gold market uh, oh, at least since uh, the 1960s. It originally did it in the, op in the open through uh, what was called the, uh, uh, the, uh, the London Gold Pool, which was an association of uh, the U.S. government and I guess about seven U.S. allies in Europe, uh, by which they disordered uh, from their gold reserves regularly to hold the official gold price at $35 an ounce. Uh, that collapsed in uh, March 1968 because there was too much offtake uh, in the London gold market. Uh, investors began to realize the, the gold price was much lower than it should be, that inflation was, was raging. 
and uh, gold was worth more than the official price. Uh, uh, the offtake destroyed the London gold market. Uh, and the central banks, Western central banks, regrouped over the next few years, and they uh, came up with another mechanism for rigging the gold market, and, and that was the, uh, the futures market. And so uh, the Western central banks, particularly the U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, they have been selling uh, futures uh, really almost on a daily basis. They have been swapping gold with each other and with bullion banks to put out fires in gold market demand in, in, in certain, certain markets. All this is, uh, is, is documented. The difference is in the 1960s, the gold price suppression policy of the Western Central Banks was, was open and public. Uh, now it is, uh, it's largely surreptitious and uh, it's done behind the scenes and through intermediary brokers. Okay, so then um, how is it done now behind the scenes by these inter intermediary brokers? Like, what are they doing? Are they just dumping amounts of gold in order to, to push the price down? Most, most typically, they're, they're selling futures, uh, selling gold futures. Uh, we believe they're also selling silver futures, but we really haven't documented that part of it uh, as well. Uh, they exchange gold with each other through... Uh, uh, transactions they call swaps, so that uh, gold uh, can be applied uh, closest to the market that needs uh, manipulating. Um, this is this is documented. Uh, uh, you know, some of our our better documents uh, we have on our internet site, the March 1999 uh, secret staff report of the International Monetary Fund, where the uh, IMF staff acknowledges that uh, central banks dissemble about their gold reserves. They do not distinguish uh, between gold in the vault and, and gold that is encumbered through swaps and shorting and things like that. Uh, central banks conceal this gold data, the secret IMF staff report says, uh, because they, they don't want their intervention in the gold markets to be noticed and they don't want the markets to know what the true gold position of central bank reserves is. Uh, we follow very closely through our consultant, uh, Robert Lamborn, the uh, uh, really daily interventions in the gold market by the Bank for International Settlements, which is the gold broker uh, for uh, major central banks. Uh, Bob goes through the monthly statement of accounts of the, uh, of the BIS uh, to calculate its gold position and its, its gold swap position. And that, that position changes uh, sometimes uh, substantially every month, which is an indicator of uh, this, uh, this intervention in the gold market by central banks. The, the BIS is an association of central banks and it doesn't do anything that it, any, any of its central bank members uh, uh, you know, don't want it to do. So there's this constant intervention. If you look closely uh, at uh, the, uh, the documents, you can, you can see this and it's, it's, it's very, uh, very current. Uh, uh, I think the BIS uh, monthly statement of accounts is uh, is probably the most revealing at, at the moment. But there are uh, there, there's many other documents. There's there's admissions from various central bankers in their in their memoirs. There's speeches central bank bankers have have given in the last uh, ten or fifteen years or so, in which they they acknowledge that they're intervening in the gold market and they're. They're doing it because uh, gold is a currency that competes with government currencies and uh, central banks don't want anybody competing with their currencies. 
Okay, right. That that that, that kind of yeah. That that sort of half answers the next the next question I had about this. So it's it's the reason that they would decide to to intervene in in the gold markets and and try to suppress the price is because gold is a competitor currency almost to to the dollar because since yes, they've become it, it's decoupled. actually it's it's actually much more than that there's a fair amount of academic literature on on the point uh gold in addition to competing with government currencies you know if, if the gold price is up the government currency's value is down and vice versa but in, in addition to that that basic competition the academic literature will will show that uh, gold is a determinant not only of currency values in the foreign exchange market. Gold is also a determinant of interest rates and uh, government bond prices. Uh, it's also really a, a determinant of the, the price level generally in, in the economy. It is, uh, it's the ultimate escape from the world financial system. If you don't like what a government is doing or governments generally are doing, if you don't like uh, their inflation or deflation, if you don't like their capital controls, uh, gold is a, a full competitor of, uh, of all assets. There's a quote from uh, Paul Volcker saying that uh, uh, this competition that gold poses for, uh, for investment, uh, not just currency, competition to currencies but, and, and bonds, but competition to uh, uh, stocks and, uh, and commodities and, and other asset prices. This makes gold, uh, Volcker said, of uh, very powerful interest to, uh, to central banks. And uh, it is a determinant, really. Gold, the gold price is a determinant of all other values uh, in the financial world. Hmm. So you're saying rather than the, the US dollar being like the, the reserve currency of the world, that the benchmark by everything is measured, that re uh, in reality, gold is, is the, the universal thing by which value is measured? Well, it, it is, I think, the ultimate measure. You know, right now, the, the dollar is considered the world reserve currency, but, you know, gold was the world reserve currency. Uh, the uh, U.S. got uh, the major nations of the world together in the International Monetary Fund, and one of their rules is to uh, forbid uh, their their member states from linking their currencies to gold. Now, why is that? That's a that's a proclamation that uh, governments want to uh, push gold out of the the world financial system. In fact, if you 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 read some of the uh, the minutes that are on the uh, internet site of the uh, historian of the U.S. State Department. Uh, you read some of the minutes of uh, the IMF proceedings, you find that, that pushing gold out of the financial system is a primary objective of central banking. Central banking doesn't want competition uh, with its rigging of the economy. Uh, it doesn't want competition with its uh, setting currency values and foreign exchange values. So uh, Western central banks long have done their best to push gold out of the financial system because if, it, if gold is ever generally re-recognized uh, as a superior reserve currency, uh, then uh, the government monopoly on the financial markets and currencies and, 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 and financial valuations, that all falls apart. Hmm. So I'm just I've, I've just been trying to find this um, this thing where you said the the US um, got all the members of the of the IMF did you say to agree yeah. to not back their their currency with gold so like so they're actually forbidden from doing it yes it's a protocol of the International Monetary Fund you you cannot if you're a member of the IMF you are forbidden 
from linking your currency to gold at any fixed value. You can, a central bank can have gold, uh, but it can't formally make any price, ex, you know, any price level exchange between its currency and gold. They, they don't want gold recognized as uh, an international currency. That's, that's the rule. Okay. And when was this? Was this? Oh, I believe that that protocol was, uh, was adopted in 1974. I think it was part of the so-called Jamaica Accords, but I'm not uh, perfectly sure of that. There's a, but there's a, there's a similar document on the internet site of the historian of the U.S. State Department. Uh, it's the transcript of a conversation in the office of uh, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Uh, he's uh, talking with his uh, deputy assistant secretary, Thomas O. Enders, about uh, uh, how the United States has got to persuade its European allies uh, not to involve gold more in the world financial system because that will uh, impair the dollar's role as the world reserve currency. Um, uh, Enders tells Kissinger in that uh, transcript that uh, at that point in time, the European states collectively had amassed more gold uh, in their reserves than the United States had, and that uh, whoever has the most gold uh, can reprice it from time to time, and in repricing the gold, uh, reprice all the currency values in the world. Uh, Anders tells Kissinger that we can't allow this uh, because that will that will impair the status of the dollar as the world reserve currency, uh, and uh, Kissinger agrees. It's a it's a very revealing uh, conversation. It's uh, in transcript form. Uh, it's on the uh, uh, internet site of the State Department historian, and it's in uh, it's at uh, Gata's internet site and our, our 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 very long summary of the documentation of uh, gold price suppression. Anybody who wants to see that and can't find it, can just email me at cpowell at gata.org, and I'll uh, I'll send them the link. But uh, if you're looking for that document and other documents uh, of, of suppression, uh, I, I would just encourage people to go to uh, gata.org and then look in the left column. You'll see a, a page labeled the basics. Open that page up. And right now, the top item on that page inside is a, it's a very long summary of the history of gold price suppression, the, the mechanisms, uh, the causes for it, its objectives, and uh, uh, really uh, I think very conclusive documentation about it. Yeah, I'm just pulling it up on screen here for people so they can find it, um, and I'll put the link in the description as well. So that's that's great, actually. I will definitely be going very deep into that later. Um, so uh, just to clarify, so I've understood because I think it was in 1944 um, with Bretton Woods when the price of the of, of gold was like fixed to the dollar at 35. $35 an, an ounce, I think. So then what you're saying is then this was the, the moment where they said, no, all your currency shouldn't be backed by gold. And they sort of like decoupled it in, in, entirely. That was the beginning of it. Yes. Okay. It was that, that international conference that uh, uh, really all the, the currencies, uh, the major currencies would be linked to the US dollar at that time. And the US dollar would be linked to gold at $35 an ounce. And that that lasted until 1968, when uh, the gold offtake in London through the gold pool just became overwhelming. Uh, the U.S. gold reserve ran down from something like 23,000 tons to, I think, below 10,000 tons. And uh, uh, the United States uh, was flying emergency uh, Air Force 
uh, cargo planes over to the Bank of England to uh, uh, repay the gold that uh, the Bank of England was advancing into the gold market for price suppression on behalf of the United States. And uh, the gold reserves ran down so dramatically in uh, early 1968 through the London gold pool that the United States had to ask uh, the British government to shut it down. And that's what happened. But then you also, you mentioned then that um, during this period that European nations, I guess post-war, had then started to buy up um, like large amounts or central banks had started to buy up large amounts of gold and they would be able to reprice the gold. Is if Or whoever has the most gold is able to like reprice it. Yeah. Is that Actually, it happened after the collapse of the gold pool. I mean, the, the European nations had uh, a certain amount of gold reserves and they were disorting them regularly through the gold pool. But gold pool collapsed in, uh, in March 1968. And, you know, from that point on, 68 to 74, uh, central banks in, in Europe were holding on to their gold, perhaps acquiring a little more. And in 1974, the State Department uh, discovered, hey, wait, look, the Europeans have more gold than we do now. And that means if they, you know, try to remonetize it in various ways, uh, they will be able to reprice all the currencies along with their repricing of gold. And we can't allow that because that will undermine the dollar. Okay, what do you mean by remonetize? Sorry. Uh, if they they did anything to raise the gold price. So for example, there's correspondence between the German Bundesbank uh, and the US authorities uh, around this time in which the United States uh, induces the Bundesbank uh, to promise that it will not purchase gold at anything above the, uh, the official price. Uh, so the United States was involved in, in various ways in discouraging the European countries from adding to their gold reserves or using their gold uh, as a matter of currency valuation. Okay. This is, this is all extensively documented. It's a matter of history. And, you know, I, I, I always am so appalled when, when people re refer to gold price suppression as conspiracy theory. It's, it's actually, it's, it's decades of public policy that's on the public record. And if you look in the right place, you can, you can find it. Now, I don't know of any place where it is more comprehensively compiled than it is at, at Gata's internet site. But, um, you know, this is, this is the historical record. Uh, you know, the, the Federal Open Market Committee has monthly meetings. You know, do they invite you? Do they invite me? Do they let anybody in to those meetings? Of course not. Uh, the Bank for International Settlements as monthly meetings at its headquarters in, in Basel in Switzerland. All the major countries are represented at that meeting. Do they, they let the public in? No, they don't. If you ask questions of the BIS, as, as I have done, uh, they'll uh, very politely reply to you, say, no, we, we don't answer questions, but you might try your central bank. Well, of course, the central banks don't answer questions either, at least not you know on, on topics that are as sensitive as, as gold. But um, you know, government is, Josh, by definition, whenever government operates in secret, it is by definition a conspiracy. A conspiracy is, is a, a cabal that gets together to discuss and formulate and implement a policy outside of public view. Government is a conspiracy. Government is not a theory. Government is a reality. Well, gold price suppression is not conspiracy theory. It's it's long-time historical fact that's extensively documented, even in some government uh, archives that are public. So, like, what do you think then it is that 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 makes people 
uneasy to suggest that this is actually happening. Like, w what is this barrier that 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 means that not many people have ever heard of this? Like, even even I don't know. I don't want to say even me, but like I I've been watching and and talking about a lot of financial corruption and um, manipulation of markets and and just like bad financial practice, fraud, things like that over the past eighteen months on this show, and no one has ever mentioned gold price suppression to me. It has never come up in anything I've read or and, until recently. So, like, what do you think it is? Is it is it that people don't see the connection between that and and the rest of the economy? They just think, oh, it's just one random little single commodity. Or, I, I think uh, most people who are seriously involved in the gold sector, they know this, uh, but they're too afraid to talk about it. Why? Uh, well, <laughs> because you've got all the government power in the world is against having anybody know about it. If, if uh, uh, the secrecy around gold price suppression policy was, was dispersed and, and it was done in the open, gold price suppression policy would fail. Gold price suppression policy requires secrecy to work. Uh, if uh, markets know that they're rigged, nobody's going to play in those markets anymore. They're going to go somewhere else. Uh, rigged markets are rigged in order to deceive investors. If investors are no longer deceived, they're not going to be investors there anymore. They'll go somewhere where they're not cheated. Uh, but the, the big reason here, Josh, is look, central banks create money in infinite amounts. Uh, you know, Ghana may receive a few hundred dollars in public contributions every couple of weeks or so. Now, uh, who are you going to be scared of? You're going to be scared of God or you're going to be scared of governments and central banks. And it's not just the governments and central banks. It's, it's also the big international banks, what are called the bullion banks, which are, are market makers in, in the monetary metals. They are also, for the most part, uh, formerly agents of the U.S. government. They're primary dealers in U.S. government securities. They have uh, very intimate relations with the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department. Uh, you have this immense financial power uh, being applied on suppressing any information about its rigging of the market. That's why you never hear about it. You seldom hear about it. Uh, it's because uh, the, the, the huge amounts of money uh, that are on the other side telling people don't get into this. It's, you know, it'll be bad for your health. The, the uh, mainstream financial news organizations, with very few exceptions, won't touch this for uh, for that reason. I mean, our, our our chairman Bill Murphy has always been very resentful, uh, and I have been, but he's been more vehement about it. Uh, of the uh, mainstream financial news organizations not re not uh, getting into uh, into this issue, and I I keep pointing out to him, uh, Bill, you know, you pick up the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, page three, you've got a big ad from J.P. Morgan Chase, and you know, page five, you've got a ad from HSBC, uh, you know, page seven, you got a big ad from Morgan Stanley. And you want to know why God is not on the cover of the B section? Well, <laughs> I mean, all the money in the world, Josh, is applied in, you know, in, in ways to keep this issue out of the public prints. Yeah, yeah, that it's, you're, you're very true. It's very accurate. Um, I mean, the, the only, like, literally, the only website that I find that's consistently uh, reporting on 
financial like actually reported on what what's going on in the financial world in terms of like corruption lawsuits like all absolutely like top quality journalism not some random person in a basement is uh wall street on parade um from um pam and, and russ martins they're just brilliant i have no idea how they have the tenacity to continue pumping that out every day but well if, if you spend any time at your site you'll see that they don't have any advertising now why is that <laughs> I don't think anybody in the financial world who is trying to make a living would want to be associated with their investigative journalism um now you know sometimes the corruption of the financial markets can't be ignored by mainstream news organizations you know a year ago uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a major bullion bank, which is the custodian for the gold exchange traded fund SLV, uh, was uh, fined $920 million by the U.S. government for uh, rigging the gold and silver markets. Now, you know, that's on, that's on the record. That, that uh, rigging did not nominally have anything to do with uh, the government's use of J.P. Morgan Chase to rig the markets, but uh, nevertheless, it was fantastic documentation that, oh, there's, there's a lot of things going wrong in the, in the gold and silver markets. A few weeks ago, uh, a couple more JP Morgan traders were criminally convicted of, uh, of, of rigging the, uh, the gold and silver markets. Um, now, again, that didn't uh, have any direct relation to uh, government intervention, but I can, I can refer people to documents of, many documents of government intervention, uh, you know, for example, um, uh, the uh, U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission is supposed to uh, regulate the commodity uh, futures market here in, here in the United States. Uh, some time ago, I put a, a question to the CFDC. Does the CFDC have jurisdiction over manipulative trading in the futures market that is undertaken by or at the behest of the U.S. government? The CFDC will not answer that question. Uh, even a member of Congress, Alex Mooney from West Virginia, put that question to the CFTC in a formal letter. The CFTC will not respond to him. Now, if the CFTC will, will not answer whether it has jurisdiction over market rigging conducted by or for the U.S. government, I think you can be pretty sure that there is market rigging going on by the U.S. government, and the CFTC can't do anything about it because, as a matter of fact, under the Gold Reserve Act of 1934, it's perfectly legal. The Gold Reserve Act of 1934 authorizes the U.S. government to trade secretly in gold and silver. And indeed, as amended in the 1970s, the Gold Reserve Act now uh, authorizes the Treasury Department to trade secretly in any market in the world. That is, the U.S. US law authorizes the U.S. Treasury Department's Exchange Stabilization Fund to go running around the world, rigging any market it wants in the name of stabilizing the value of the U.S. dollar. Uh, I mean, this is, you could you'd look up the Treasury Department's Exchange Stabilization Fund internet site. Uh, uh, you know, th this is all on the record. They thought this out, Josh, long before Agata came, came along. Uh, and it's all legal. And that's what we got told by our, our lawyers when we first decided to try to to, to, to sue about this market rigging. The lawyers looked it up and they, they said, well, uh, don't look now, but uh, uh, the Gold Reserve Act authorizes the Treasury Department through its exchange stabilization fund to intervene in any market and rig any price it wants to. The refusal of the CFTC to answer the question whether it has jurisdiction over market rigging 
uh, conducted by the U.S. government. Uh, that's that's proof enough for me. Yeah, here it is. Uh, yeah, e, the ESF can be used to purchase or sell foreign currencies to hold U.S. foreign exchange and special drawing right assets and to provide financing to foreign governments. All operations require explicit authorization of the Secretary of the Treasury. Answering only to the president. You can't find out what they're doing. I mean, obviously, they're not stating quite openly on the front page of their website that they are only reporting to the president. But I, uh, yeah, I believe well, no, that but that that's what the, the law says. Yeah. The, 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 the Treasury Secretary and the president alone are responsible for the exchange stabilization fund. Uh, look, the, the Federal Reserve in New York, the New York Fed has a, has a huge trading room. Uh, do you think you can go in there, you know, uh, tomorrow and find out oh, what trades are you conducting? Uh, the, the New York Fed also has a, a second trading room adjacent to the Chicago Board of Trade and the CME Group in Chicago, which runs all the futures markets in the United States. Uh, the uh, CME Group, uh, which operates the futures markets in the United States, uh, has something it calls its central bank incentive program. And you can see uh, references to this on the CFTC Internet sites uh, filings from CME Group. You can see it in the CME Group's filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, you can see it on the CME Group's own Internet site. CME Group has something called its Central Bank Incentive Program, which is to provide volume trading discounts to governments and central banks for their secret trading of all futures contracts in the United States. If as long as those governments and central banks using the program are using a broker who's approved by the exchange, this is all public record. Now, I, I will guarantee you there has been no mainstream financial news reporting about the central bank incentive program, uh, about central bank secret trading on all futures markets in the United States. I can't get them to pick up anything about this. It's probably the you know, the, the most uh, sensitive secret in the financial markets that the, the, the architecture for secret rigging of all the markets in the world is, is fully in place. It's fully legal. It's on the record. You can find it if you want to. But uh, if you're going to work for a mainstream financial news organization, you're not going to be permitted to find it. So hang on, you've, you've just killed my, my, my career prospects at the, the Financial Times, <laughs> man. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, if I were you, I would not use this interview uh, in, uh, you know, an application to the Wall Street Journal or Financial Times or New York Times or, or Bloomberg or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Might might cost me the job. But but what you're telling me here is, is absolutely insane. You're saying that there's the legal and totally like legitimized framework in place for the U.S., like, yeah, for the Federal Reserve. Um, to trade and the, and the Treasury Department to trade secretly, either using their own funds or through other brokers and uh, and yeah, other other funds if they're yeah approved, in order to rig any market in the world, backed yeah, by right. infinite liquidity. That's that's correct. That is that's exactly the, right. Wow, and I <laughs> wow. Well, you know, but it's so simple to ascertain. Go to the New York Fed. I've been there. I didn't get inside, but say I'd like to observe your trading room tomorrow. Is that okay? 
I'd like to observe your trading room in Chicago. I'd like to know how you're trading today. Uh, they won't let you in. Go to Basel, Switzerland and, 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 and ask to attend the next board meeting to the BIS. See if they let you, you know, go in there. The, the BIS will acknowledge on its internet site that it, it does gold trading for central banks. Uh, we have the PowerPoint presentation that the BIS gave to prospective central bank members uh, at a presentation, a recruitment presentation in Basel, I don't know, 10 or so years ago. We're in the PowerPoint presentation. Uh, um, the, services the services offered to, to potential central bank members by the BIS include interventions in the gold and currency markets. The BIS advertises that it, it provides interventions in the gold market for its central bank members. That, that PowerPoint presentation is on our internet site. Nobody's ever told us that it's a, it's a forgery. Wow. Nobody's ever told us that the, uh, uh, the uh, secret staff report of the IMF from March 9, 1999 saying that the IMF has got to allow central banks to con conceal the true status of their gold reserves because revealing the true status would reveal their interventions. Nobody's ever told us that that's a forgery, but we have it, and it's on our internet site. That's why, you know, nobody asks, because if you start asking these questions, you realize that uh, there are no real markets in the world anymore. There's just uh, a, a matter of interventions from, from the United States government. Wow. I mean... This is this is just absolutely stunning. So, like, to, to what ex to what extent do the people who so say the 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 secretary um, of the of the Federal Reserve or the head of the Federal Reserve, um, Janet, is Janet Yellen still Janet Yellen? Or no, oh, no it's uh, Jerome Jerome, is, uh, Jerome Treasury, Treasury Secretary. Secretary. Sorry, Jerome and then Powell Jerome Pyle is, is the the head is the of the Fed. chairman of the Fed. Yeah, like. To what extent are they the ones driving this? The the whatever interventions are, are happening say like is it is it all going through through Jerome Powell is it coming from Janet Yellen is it coming from I don't know the the other large financial players well like, it's, a, it's a government policy and look this is in fairness to Yellen and Powell this this policy long preceded them this has been US government policy for 50 years and you know that's why Henry Kissinger is talking about it in that uh, transcript of his his conversation with Thomas O. Enders in, in 1974. Uh, that's what the London Gold Pool was about. It was, it was London Gold Pool was undertaken at the behest of the United States to, to hold the gold price at $35 an ounce because the gold price was the determinant of the value of the dollar, even back then. This is longstanding U.S. government policy, which has been assisted by the U.S. allies in Europe, particularly the, the United Kingdom. Uh, which you know has houses the main gold market uh, in, in the world over there. So uh, it's a it's a policy interest of the United States, and it would be the policy interest of the U.S. government, no matter who was Treasury Secretary and no matter who was Chairman of the Federal Reserve, at least until the U.S. government decides that it does not want to be an imperial power anymore. It does not want to rule the world through the currency markets. It, it wants to have free and transparent markets and, and, and spread democracy that way. Uh, you know, one of the documents uh, that we have on our internet site, uh, Josh, is uh, uh, a uh, defense department, actually it's a war department, uh, intelligence newsletter from I think it was 1942, 1943, 
the War Department, which you know we now call the Defense Department, uh, kind of euphemize it a little bit, uh, had a monthly intelligence letter during World War II called Tactical and Technical Trends. <coughs> Excuse me, one of those uh, editions, I think it was in 42, 43, it's on our internet site. I can find it for you. Anybody can find it in the in the basic summary I've already, already referred to. But uh, that edition of technical and tactical trends uh, described in detail the uh, rigging of the currency markets in occupied Europe by uh, the Nazi German regime. Uh, and if you read that, you and if you, there's other, other books called, uh, there's a title that came out a few years ago, Hitler's uh, beneficiaries. Uh, uh, there's academic literature about this, but uh, we we have the impression that the Nazi uh, occupation of Europe uh, looted Europe by, you know, sending the SS into the Louvre and the uh, other museums and taking the paintings off the wall and you know shipping them off to Hermann Goering's country house in Prussia. Uh, you know that happened. Uh, but the, the primary mechanism of the looting of occupied Europe in World War II, as the War Department newsletter details, and as you know, some other history books will, will show, the primary looting of, of, the, of Europe during World War II was done by the Nazis by gaining control of the currency markets. The Nazis simply changed currency values. They changed exchange rates. When the Nazis got hold of, uh, of, of France and the Bank de France, they changed the exchange rate of the franc to the uh, to the Reichsmark from something like uh, one franc was worth two Reichsmarks. They changed it to something like one Reichsmark was suddenly worth 40 francs. Uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, where there was no developed central banking system, the Nazis issued special occupation currency uh, for the uh, local people to use, but this occupation currency was not convertible into anything in Germany itself. So when the Nazis got control of occupied Europe, they set up the currency system so that all production flowed out of occupied Europe into Nazi Germany and nothing flowed back. There was starvation and privation throughout Europe, but not because the SS was doing it at the point of bay bayonets, it's because the monetary system was doing it. Uh, if you used any form of money at all in occupied Europe, you became an agent of the occupation. Wow, I've never, um, I've never heard anyone speak about this. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, if you if you're going to go loot in the whole, did did they steal the gold from the central banks? Yes, as of well? course, yeah. they they stole the uh, they stole the gold wherever they could steal it. Though uh, some countries have been able to get their their gold out to Canada or the United States uh, before the uh, Nazi troops uh, came in. But uh, the the plundering of Europe, occupied Europe during World War II, was done primarily through the rigging of the currency markets, not by sending soldiers to, to steal everything. And that's, that's the wonderful uh, feature about currency market rigging. If you, if you can rig the currency markets, you can exploit any country in the world and no one will be able to figure out how you're doing it. Yeah, that's the disturbing part about I mean what we're watching well about what we're watching happen with the with the financial system today because it makes it makes it seem a lot more insidious when you're saying that it's comparable to the way that um yeah occup well occupied Europe had their financial resources drained and how they were like pillaged by 
yeah, by the financial system more than they were. Well, obviously not more, but like alongside the the actual physical blowing up of and you know murder well, it, and all it's, the it's awful It's a tyrannical stuff. and imperialist system, whether the Nazis do it or whether the United States does it. Yeah, I mean the United States is not putting people in concentration camps. Uh, you know, we we don't have the mass murder camps that the Nazis had, but uh, you know we are waging stupid imperial wars from time to time, and uh, lots of people die in those. Yeah. Yeah, never the people waging them. Unfortunately, it's uh, yeah. Anyway, the so I wanted to go back um, actually to something you mentioned at the start was where your yeah successful um, Freedom of Information Act request um, to, and the 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 lawsuit against the Federal Reserve. Um, do you want to tell people a little bit about how that came about and and why you decided to yeah or what exactly it was you were asking for and and you know what you find out from it. After we realized that the architecture for market rigging uh, was firmly entrenched in law and that uh, we were not going to stop the market rigging uh, through you know, any litigation uh, because it was all legal, uh, we figured, well, all we could do was try to expose it as best we could because if the rigging is exposed, it will fail. It requires secrecy and deception to, to work. So we, we set about to, uh, to expose it. Uh, we uh, filed a request with the uh, Federal Reserve to, uh, to see all its uh, gold-related documents uh, in you know, pursuit of uh, the Freedom of Information Act here in the United States. Um, we, we got uh, a very interesting and, and uh, uh, illuminating response from the Fed. A, a member of the Fed's Board of Governors at that time, Kevin M. Warsh, wrote our lawyer a letter uh, explaining the Fed's denial of our request to see the Fed's gold documents. And he mentioned, I think quite gratuitously, and I've always wondered if he was trying secretly to help us, but he, hmm. he mentioned quite gratuitously that um, uh, among the, uh, the documents the Fed was uh, withholding from us were, were uh, uh, gold swap arrangements that the Fed had with other central banks. Uh, he specifically identified uh, documents about gold swaps with other central banks as, as being among the documents the Fed wasn't going to give us. Well, simply disclosing to us that the Fed had gold swap arrangements with other central banks, we, we thought was incredibly uh, important. So we got that out of the lawsuit. Um, when the Fed denied everything to us, uh, except some trivial stuff that was just on the internet, uh, we took, him, uh, took it to court in, in Washington, DC, uh, uh, the district court there. And uh, uh, the judge uh, ruled that uh, the Fed was fully entitled to withhold from us uh, all its gold documents except one. And that one that uh, the Fed had to disclose, according to the judge, was, was the, uh, the minutes of the G10 Golden Foreign Exchange Committee. I don't know what year it was. I'd have to go look, look that up. But there was one document that the court found had to be disclosed to us, and it was the uh, was, was a minutes of the Golden Foreign Exchange Committee of the G10 powers which uh, when we finally got the, uh, the minutes, it showed that the central bankers again had gathered secretly to discuss coordinating their policies in the gold market. Now, since uh, the judge found that the Fed had 
illegally refused to give us that document, technically, uh, we won the case, even though we got very little of what we had asked for. We got only one document. But because we did win that ruling that the Fed had illegally disclosed, illegally withheld that document from us, uh, the uh, judge entered judgment for us and ordered the Fed to pay court costs. <laughs> so we, we display proudly on our internet site a, a uh, check from the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, Virginia in the amount of something like $2,400, which is what the Fed had to pay us because uh, you know we fought the Fed and we won in this tiny little respect. Uh, you know, they say, don't fight the Fed. Well, we fought the Fed and, well, <laughs> we got one document and we got a Fed check for $2,400 to show that we'd won the case. And that's that's on our internet site if anybody wants to look that up. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's more than many people can probably say. So congratulations. <laughs> well, Bloomberg beat the Fed uh, a few years ago trying to get a list of uh, the recipients of the Fed's emergency loans during the uh mm. 2008 uh, financial emergency. And that was a great victory, too. And I have to give Bloomberg uh, credit for that. But for the, for the most part, uh, major news organizations, mainstream organizations won't touch this. A few years ago, we, uh, after a year and a half of effort, we induced the Wall Street Journal uh, to take up the gold issue. Um, and the uh, I, I gave the Wall Street Journal reporter a, a list of some of our expert consultants who would talk to her uh, about this intervention in the gold market by the Federal Reserve. Uh, she talked to them and lo and behold, one day, a story appeared on the front page of the Wall Street Journal raising the question, does, you know, is the, is the Fed uh, intervening in the gold market? Does it really, does the US government really have, have any gold? Uh, but the story never mentioned GATA, though all the information uh, that it, uh, it it contained was supplied by us. The people who were quoted were uh, was supplied by by us. The remarkable thing about that Wall Street Journal story was that after quoting our consultants consultants charging that the Fed was meddling in the gold market, the Wall Street Journal decided to violate the first rule of journalism, which is, you know, if you if you accuse somebody of something. Or if you quote anybody accusing somebody of something, you go to that person and, and you know, ask them to respond. Well, you can read that Wall Street Journal story on, on our internet site. And after quoting our people saying the Fed's meddling in the gold market, uh, the Wall Street Journal never called the Fed up and asked for comment. Now, I, I, I can't believe... Are you kidding me? You can read this. Look, if all this stuff sounds so fantastic to you, I, and, you know, it, I'm sure it would sound even more fantastic to people at the Financial Times. So I've met with several of them several times. Um, uh, it's documented. You can read it on our Internet site. And if you don't believe it, you can track it down with the uh, originating agency and ask, hey, is, 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 this, is this a forgery? But the Wall Street Journal story is not a forgery. You can read it. Uh, th this topic is so sensitive that it caused the Wall Street Journal to violate the first rule of journalism. It let some of our people accuse the Fed of market rigging, but it never sought, or at least it never published any indication that it had asked the Fed uh, for comment on this, if it asked the Fed to rebut anything our guys were saying. Now, 
I suspect that the Wall Street Journal reporter did ask the Fed for comment and was told, are you kidding, lady? Uh, there's no way in hell we're going to talk about this. And if you want to get invited to our Christmas party this year, you better not mention us. And, you know, that's that's what happens. Look, we, you know, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, we put a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal thinking that maybe we could get some publicity if we bought some advertising. We spent more than a crowd, $260,000, I think $262,000 for a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal laying out the gold market manipulation issue. Uh, and it was my idea, and I wish we'd never done it because it produced absolutely nothing. And we didn't even get invited to the Wall Street Journal's Christmas party <laughs> for spending $262,000 with them. This, this topic, Josh, it's radioactive, okay? That's why, you know, you can look at these documents and just, you know, just be amazed, uh, you know, how can this be true? And none of it gets into the mainstream, you know, financial press. Well, none of it gets into the press because it is true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, they, oh, this is definitely going to, well, you will get one citation from me in my next book where I will 100% be mentioning this. Because, um, yeah, my next well, book is. Look, I just would yeah. ask people, uh, just read the summary of the evidence and the policy in, in the basic section of our internet site and go through the documents one by one and ask yourself, is this a forgery? Is this genuine? You know, a lot of this stuff is linked right back to government internet sites. Uh, if you don't believe something, go question somebody about it. I, finally, I had to tell that Wall Street Journal report, stop calling me. I'm not the the, 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 the expert, I, I'm, a, I'm a layman. Uh, I, I am not the original source of this information. Don't bug me, stop it, I, I'm getting tired of you. Why don't you call the Fed, call the Treasury, call members of Congress, you know, call bullion banks, ask them if this is true. But they're too scared to do that. Did they, did they openly say to you that they were too scared to do that, or that no. they wouldn't? Or they... No, but you know, a after like about a half dozen calls over a year and a half from, from the Wall Street Journal reporter, and I was very annoyed with her. I mean, I, I told her, why, why you keep asking me stuff? I'm not the, the authority. Ask the government people. And then you read her story, and she never, never talks to any government person, at least not in the story. I, I suspect uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal editors maybe had some conversations with the people in New York Fed about this and decided that, well, you know, we can go this far and no farther. We, we, we can't incriminate the, the Fed by saying they refuse to comment. Yeah. Yeah. And don't mention GATA was probably in there somewhere. Um, you wouldn't want the yeah people being pointed towards a website that explained things for people, would you? Um, so the, one of the questions actually that that sort of sprung into my mind a little earlier when we were talking about this and the decoupling of gold from um, all of the major currencies, the beneficiaries of or sorry the the members of the IMF, didn't Russia just back their currency with gold again? Um, well, um, there was a brief period of I don't know two or three weeks uh, where uh, Russia didn't really back the ruble with gold, but the, the Bank of Russia announced that it would buy gold from Russian miners at a fixed price. Um, this you know, was not making the ruble directly convertible to gold in violation of the IMF protocol, uh, but 
it was construed by some people as uh, the implementation of a sort of gold standard. It lasted only a few weeks until the ruble was stabilized. Uh, and then uh, uh, the uh, Bank of Russia with, withdrew its, uh, its tender for gold at that, at that price. But uh, uh, it, it's, uh, the bigger point here is, Josh, that uh, uh, gold is a, a potentially enormous weapon in the currency war that is going on now, really the Cold War, the Ukrainian war, um, it is a, a potential weapon by uh, Russia and China against the West and, and sanctions. Uh, if uh, look, Russia could pull the plug on the dollar uh, anytime uh, simply by putting an offer to buy gold substantially above the market price now. China could do the same thing. South Korea could do it. Any, any country with a substantial foreign exchange surplus uh, could change all the currency values in the world very quickly by offering to buy gold substantially above the current futures market price in New York, around $1,700. That, as, as Enders told Kissinger, and that meeting at the State Department in 1974, that's the kind of thing that would change all currency values and all financial valuations in the world very quickly. Now, they haven't done it yet. Uh, we know that they are aware of it. Uh, we have on our internet site uh, translations of uh, Chinese government press reports that uh, talk openly about gold market manipulation by, uh, by the West in order to support the dollar. Uh, the WikiLeaks cables that came out a few years ago uh, include these uh, Chinese news reports. And why did WikiLeaks get them? Because uh, WikiLeaks had all these State Department documents that were, were leaked to them, I think by Bradley Manning. Mm -hmm. um, and among those documents were cables from the US Embassy in Beijing to the State Department in Washington which translated these Chinese press reports about gold market manipulation by the United States. So we know that uh, China knows all about gold market manipulation because its government press reports uh, have also often contained uh, information about it. And we know that the US government knows that China knows because we have the State Department cables. It was that came from the, Bay, the U.S. Embassy in Beijing to the State Department in Washington. So we, we know that China knows all about gold price suppression policy, and we know that the State Department knows that China knows. Um, in 2004, the deputy chairman of the Bank of Russia, the Russian Central Bank, Oleg Mazayskov, gave a speech to the uh, London Bullion Market uh, uh, Association's summer meeting at the Kapinsky Hotel in Moscow. The only words in English he spoke were gold antitrust action committee. Um, now, <laughs> this was quite, quite surprising to us because as of uh, that, uh, that time, we had no idea that we'd had any contact with anyone in Russia to the best of our knowledge. I mean, certainly Russians could have been watching this, but we'd, we'd had no direct contact with, uh, with anybody. And then all of a sudden, uh, the deputy chairman of the Bank of Russia mentions GATA in his speech to the London Bullion Market Association in, uh, in, in Moscow. Uh, we heard about that from uh, indirectly from someone who was at the meeting. So I immediately contacted the London Bullion Market Association. I uh, had been told by our contact that 
English copies of the speech were uh, distributed at that meeting, could I get a copy? Uh, the LBMA refused to provide me one, very predictably. Um, so I uh, was a little more uh, showing initiative at that time. And I, uh, I looked up the uh, Bank of Russia's internet site and I saw they had an English page. And I uh, saw that they uh, were at 12 Neglanaya streets in Moscow and they had a fax number. Uh, so I, I typed up a, a, a letter uh, to uh, Deputy Chairman Zaskoff and said, hey, I, I heard you gave this speech uh, to the LBMA and, <clears throat> in Moscow, and I heard you mentioned uh, my, my group. Uh, the LBMA won't give me a copy of it. Uh, uh, could, uh, uh, could you send me a copy? And uh, I was a <clears throat> newspaper editor at that time, and I had a, a Russian-speaking reporter on my staff. Uh, I was a graduate student in Russia. I told Ms. Zaskoff, listen, you can just give me the original uh, uh, Russian copy, because I've got a friend here who can translate it for me. Uh, remarkably, uh, I got a phone message the next day from Ms. Aiskoff, uh saying that uh, he would provide a copy uh, of his speech, but he wanted to control the translation. Apparently, it was that sensitive to him, and he would get a friend of his who was the head of Moscow Nirandi Bank in London to do the translation, and his friend from Moscow Nirandi Bank would uh, send the text to me. Well, I was very excited about that, uh, but of course time passed. And it was about a month later, I got a uh, really a, a, a plain manila envelope in my mailbox, uh, no return address other it was embossed Moscow Nirondi Bank. So, you know, I think it had uh, British postage on it. I opened it up, there was a translation. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, I rushed it onto our, our internet site, and uh, Mazeskov uh, said uh, to the London Bullion Bankers uh, that uh, something like many of you may have heard the, uh, the group of economists who came together to form the uh, Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Well, that was pretty funny because I'm a college dropout, and our chairman, uh, Bill Murphy, while he went to Cornell, uh, is a former professional football player. <laughs> so, so much for the, I mean, look, we have some, some very brilliant uh, economists, uh, you know, advising us. But uh, anyway, uh, Ms. Aiskov apparently mistook some of us for economists. Um, but he said, you know, many of you may have heard of the group of economists who came together uh, as the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And uh, they have, uh, suggested that uh, the, the, the gold price is, is, is not being set by the usual factors of supply and demand. Uh, and that he, he didn't, uh, he, he didn't want to uh, jump in with a conclusion about that, but uh, he, he, he concluded that there, uh, that there were some anomalies in the gold market. And that, this, I think, was his, his polite way of telling uh, the London bullion bar bar bankers that the Russian government was now fully on to them and the gold price suppression policy being undertaken in, in London. It was not too long afterwards, uh, we had a, a conference in the, in the Yukon and a, uh, a former official of the uh, Soviet foreign office uh, came to that, that meeting. Um, and uh, he thought it was a great conference. He was a great guy. Uh, and uh, soon after that, uh, the Russian government announced 
that it was going to start buying gold on all markets. And uh, it began uh, removing its gold from the Bank of England because it realized that its gold in the custody of the Bank of England was being used to support gold price suppression policy. So we, we, we know Russia has known all about gold price suppression policy since at least 2004. Uh, we, we know that the Chinese government has known all about it, at least since the WikiLeaks cables from Beijing to Washington came out. Uh, I am sure that they are taking steps to prepare themselves for a revaluation of gold in the future. They could initiate that revaluation at any time if they wanted to. They haven't done it yet. Will they ever do it? I, I don't know, but I, I think at least it, they understand gold is a very powerful defensive weapon in the foreign exchange market. So then how much gold do you think is actually like physically left owned within the Federal Reserve that's that's not either out for being lent out, being used um, in short selling or um, in swaps? Like, Because uh, you mentioned there there was a period where it, it dropped significantly down below uh, 10,000 tonnes. Like, did they replenish that? Is there any any sort of idea of like well, how much is uh, actually there? If you, if you read the secret uh, staff report of the IMF from March 1999, you will see that uh, this question is the most sensitive question in the financial world. That is the question that um, the world can't be permitted to get an answer to. The official US gold reserve is listed as 8,133 tons of gold. That's, you know, that's not the real issue. Uh, you know, the, the, the real issue is how much of that is is unencumbered and how much of that is encumbered. Uh, we know from uh, Fed uh, Governor Warsh's letter to Gata's lawyer that the Fed has gold swap arrangements with foreign banks. Uh, we know from ancient uh, memo of the uh, Federal Open Market Committee that the Fed has gold swap arrangements with foreign banks and has made some, some gold swaps. However, uh, the uh, the, the, the Fed uh, people now say they have no memory of, of that. Mm. Um, the BIS admits uh, being in the gold swap business. Uh, the BIS PowerPoint presentation admits the BIS is in the gold market intervention business. Uh, but exactly where the gold is, uh, who it's uh, belonged to, how many claims are on it, uh, mm. uh, that information is more sensitive than the plans for the uh, uh, manufacture and deployment of nuclear weapons. Um, <laughs> nuclear weapons, uh, they can only destroy the world. Uh, the control of gold, as Henry Kissinger heard in, I guess, April 74 in his office in his conversation with, uh, with Enders, the control of gold is the control of the world economy. It's the control of all currency values. It's, it's the control of the, the value of all capital capital, labor, goods, and currency in the world. Uh, gold is far more sensitive secret than you know anything. Uh, how much real gold is there in the vaults of the central banks? What are their gold liabilities? Uh, they're never gonna tell you that uh, because you know, then you'll have them perfectly naked before the financial markets and the financial markets will you know, be able to, uh, to, to act accordingly. Um, 
we do know uh, that uh, uh, the, the amount of gold the world thinks it owns is probably a fraction, uh, which, you know, I'm sorry, the, 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 the amount of gold the world thinks that it, it owns is, is backed by just a fraction of real, real metal. Uh, there is a hearing of the CFTC on uh, commodity market regulation, uh, oh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. It's on our internet site, and it's, I believe it's in that summary. Uh, where uh, a, a gold market expert, uh, Jeff Christian, uh, runs the uh, a gold consultancy group and is uh, a uh, who, who includes central banks as his clients. He testified to the CFDC that the leverage in the gold market often approaches 100 to one. That is, that every every ounce of real metal in the market is is being traded 100 times at once. Uh, the Re Reserve Bank of, of India did a report shortly afterwards, estimated the leverage in the gold market 92 to one. That is that there's 92 more claims of gold for, uh, on gold than there is gold uh, to back those claims. Now, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just giving you the indications that are, that are out there. But, uh, you know, what would the gold price be if the world knew that only say, well, at 100 to one leverage, that only 1% of its gold claims uh, are, can be fulfilled. Uh, what uh, would the gold price be if uh, people are holding paper gold claim, you know, claims on gold that they don't actually hold in their hand? Mm. What would the gold price be if the Reserve Bank of India is right and that there are 92 claims on gold for every, every, uh, you know, every ounce of gold? Um, what would the gold price be if uh, leverage in the gold market was only 10 times? Uh, you know, what, what if uh, ten, only 10% of the world's gold actually exists? It would be multiples of, of where it is now. And so that's why I think the, the primary objective of Western central banking, and maybe even Eastern central banking at the moment, is to uh, discourage people from looking into this point too, too carefully. Uh, if, uh, if you want to let a bullion bank hold your gold, gold for you as a matter of deposit, well, they can give you a piece of paper and uh, you can hold that and you can think it's gold. But uh, if a push comes to shove and you want to claim it uh, when everybody else is trying to claim it, it may not be, be there for you. That's what the central banks have done. They've created a vast imaginary supply of certificate gold, of, of, of paper gold, uh, in order to keep the price down. I mean, you look at the gold price. We have the highest inflation in, in 40 years in the world now, and the gold price has been going down steadily for at least a year. Now, why is that? <laughs> that's, that's possible only if somebody has created a vast imaginary supply of gold. That's what they've done. That's what the futures markets are about. The futures markets are about creating a vast imaginary supply of gold so that nobody takes physical and, and physical gold never reflects its true scarcity in the world. There is a, a, uh, a cable from the deputy chief of mission of the U.S. Embassy in London back in 74, or late 73, to the State Department in Washington, saying that uh, he's been uh, surveying London bullion bankers, <coughs> excuse me, surveying London bullion bankers about uh, the likely impact of the 
uh, institution of a gold futures market in the United States, which I think began in December 74. Uh, the cable from the London embassy to the State Department says that the London bullion backers who were uh, interviewed about the likely impact of the futures market, the, the, the forthcoming futures market in gold, uh, thought that uh, with a futures market, they, the bullion ba bankers, could inject so much volatility into the gold market that ordinary investors would be scared out of it. And I think that really gave us uh, an idea of what the real reason for the creation of the futures market was. It was to inject volatility into the gold price, or at least the, the capacity for injecting volatility in the gold price, uh, so much so that regular investors would not want to invest in gold anymore. I mean, again, this is a cable, US government cable, London Embassy, State Department in Washington. Uh, you can go read it and decide whether it's a forgery or not. Yeah, I, I yeah, for the for the sake of the people who are who are listening that um that have yeah been very deep into watching the the GameStop saga unfold. So the, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the story that's that's going on, but basically the crux of it is that it's unbelievably similar to what you're li li laying out here. Is that the idea is that. Um, there's a huge short squeeze potential in, yeah, but in gold, it's, just it's, like there was in GameStop. Yeah, but it's, the, the, exactly it's right. this, this, this idea that the community uh, that have been following this have been looking at this idea that um, GameStop, yeah, that there's like far more shares in circulation than should really exist due to share rehypothecation and illegal naked short selling, um, all of which uh, theoretically should happen in secret. <laughs> and that the, the basically when you're buying, that it's been... Like I've only discovered this, like when you buy shares with a broker, like you're not getting the shares, you're getting a paper certificate as, as is the same with the, with a lot of the gold that says you have the shares and no one has really any idea how many shares are actually in circulation, but not just in, in, in terms of GameStop across the entire US market, this could be the, the case. And it's like illustrated by the massive like fails to deliver that have been um, like documented and, and, and well shown by, by people like um, Dr. Suzanne Trimbath. And and just to, to to for you to be literally repeat like all you had to do when you, when I was listening to you there was replace the word gold with the word shares and I, it's a story I've now heard like a thousand times and it, it doesn't surprise me at all because if they're doing it in one market why on earth would it not be happening in the other if they're if they're getting away with it in in, in and and vice versa like if the what you're telling me as i i do believe you're you're citing very legitimate sources if, if what you're telling me is true and that they're allowed to get away with rehypothecating the gold then why would they not do it with the shares and it's really terrifying that the entire autumn perhaps all markets are just utterly manipulated that terrifies me well if if you uh <clears throat> if you manipulate the price of what's called the risk-free asset uh and gold is a risk-free asset if it is you know, if it's it's held in your direct possession, if you manipulate the price of the risk-free assets in the world, gold being one of them, dollar right now being another, uh, you are manipulating the price of everything because everything draws its price off the price of the risk-free assets. All those prices are, are derivatives of the price of the risk-free asset. So if you're rigging the gold price, if you're rigging the value of the dollar in the foreign exchange markets, you're rigging every financial valuation in the world. Yeah, it's, it's... And that's what Enders told Kissinger 
at the State Department in April 74. We can't let the Europeans remonetize gold to any extent because then they'll be able to reprice gold. And in repricing gold, they will reprice every financial value on the planet. And they can't do that. Only we here in the United States can do that. Yeah. T- tell me this, actually. I know uh, Uganda recently uh, think they've, they've discovered 12 trillion in, in gold deposits. Is this, What on earth would that do to, to the power of, A, that nation? Well, and, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, uh, it's likely a, a vast misunderstanding <laughs> by people in, in, in Uganda. Okay. Um, uh, look, you know, people are talking now about mining asteroids for gold. Oh, yeah. I've I mean, had people on the show talking about that. <laughs> you know, uh, I I doubt that there's that. Look, there's gold in Africa. And Africa really is uh, probably the biggest victim of the gold price suppression scheme. Any, any country that uh, any country begins by producing, exploiting natural resources, uh, any any country. Uh, like so many African countries that have uh, substantial uh, gold deposits, those those are the countries that are being most exploited by the gold price suppression scheme. Um, but um, I doubt that there's that much gold uh, available for mining in Uganda. Uh, and uh, if there ever is, you can guarantee that the 1st Marine Division will be down there by Monday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the Uganda is suddenly going to develop a, a wild case of, of dictator and civil war that requires uh, but look, look at Zimbabwe. <laughs> Zimbabwe is a mineral-rich country, potentially uh, agriculturally rich again, if they, they ever let it have a real agricultural economy. Mm. Uh, and what is it? It's, it's, it's a basket case. It's a, it's a rich country insisting on being poor because of its, its political disorganization and its corruption. But uh, really, most of the countries with substantial gold reserves in, in the world, South Africa is full of these, these countries. Asia is full of these countries. They are rich countries insisting on being poor because they either ignore or they, they play along with the gold price suppression scheme. They're letting the United States and you know, the, the, the Western countries uh, underprice their assets for them. A market price for their assets would make them rich. Well, yeah, and well, yeah, well, I, yeah, this is this has been incredibly, uh, incredibly educational, and it's going to be a lot for me to process. Um, I'm going to have to do some reading. Uh, I got, I got some homework to do now on all of this. Um, I'm going to have to go. Well, I would just encourage everybody read the the summary and the basics file in in our internet site. All the documents there are either printed on the site or. They're linked to government internet sites or both. Um, I mean, it's there to decide whether you think it's true or not. I mean, I, if you doubt it, anyone who doubts it, I would encourage them to go to the source and ask the source, hey, is, is this genuine or is this, is this a forgery? Uh, if, you, if you get anybody in official circles to answer you, please tell me because it'll be a first. Well, yeah, let them know. I will put the links for um, the website, all the stuff we've talked about in the description below for people. Um, so, yeah, Chris, thank you very much. It's It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm thrilled to find anybody with a, uh, an Internet site that, uh, you know, can help us uh, get this out because it's 
it's a long struggle, and it's this is something uh, that uh, all the money in the world does not want the world to know. Well, yeah, I'll do my best to to get this out there. I like I said, I think people will be will be fascinated. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, if anybody uh, has got a question, can't find something, uh, I'll be glad to get an email from them at cpowell at gata.org. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, I'll put that in the description too. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.